You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Welcome to the home of common sense, the place where there is no room for the woke generation, the place where the voice of the silent majority is king and the place where you need not fear speaking your mind. This morning, we are opening the doors to yet another purveyor of common sense and that man, in this instance, is the 45th President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. Yesterday, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, he spoke for all sensible, right-thinking people on the scourge of climate change and his words have resonated across the world. Without mentioning Greta Thunderbird by name, he warned everyone to stop listening to the prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. President Trump pointed out that US growth had never been better and he compared the eco-planks to people who feared a population explosion in the 1960s and mass starvation in the 1970s. He's right, of course. It's all complete and utter garbage designed to change the way we live for political purposes. You know what these Extinction Rebellion types want. They want to completely overthrow capitalism. It's nothing to do with fixing the climate at all. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be speaking to Dr Benny Pizer, Director of the Global Warming Policy uh, Forum, and we'll find out what he has to say about it all. Coming up later on, we'll be checking in on Downing Street to see just how the new points-based immigration system is going and whether it is about to make life much more difficult for some employers in this country. And we'll be heading to Westminster for another Prime Minister's questions with the pointless Jeremy Corbyn and Prime Minister Boris Johnson. 0344 499 1000 is the number, of course. We'll also get the latest on Thomas Markle, Meghan's dad, who now says the royals owe him big time. And we'll find out just how Saudi Arabia's crown prince managed to hack the phone of the world's richest man. You're listening to me and watching me because we're live streaming on YouTube, of course, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So even The Guardian have put this on the front page this morning. Trump hits at climate profits of doom. In his uh, keynote speech yesterday at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, he basically attacked the teenage activist Greta Thunberg over her climate crisis warning. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. Because this is a time for tremendous hope and joy and optimism and action. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial profits of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. These alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country. Radical socialists. I think he's got it in one, hasn't he? Let's have a listen to one of them. The facts are clear. 
but they are still too uncomfortable for you to address. You just leave it because you think it's too depressing and people will give up. But people will not give up. You are the ones who are giving up. Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. And we are telling you to act as if you loved your children above all else. What on earth is she talking about? And if my house was on fire, I wouldn't be in Davos talking to people about it. I'd go home and put it out. Isn't that what she should be doing? Shouldn't she be at school? Shouldn't she be learning about Davos and where Davos is and what Davos is about, rather than telling everyone that they're not doing anything, when in fact people are doing quite a bit? Let's talk to Dr Benny Pizer and find out what he makes of it all. Uh, Dr Benny, a very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Um, Donald Trump's got this right, hasn't he? Well, it was quite an amazing speech, and I think it will resonate for years to come because Davos over the last 10, 15 years has become the home of <laughs> the doomsayers and the doommongers. And of course, the wealthy elite flying in with their air, private airplanes to Davos and then preaching to the world that flying is bad yeah. doesn't really come across very well. So I think uh, Trump's speech um, will, obviously it's a speech not just to the people in uh, attending the uh, World Economic Forum, but mainly his uh, Based in in the U.S., but what he's essentially saying is, and his his talk started, his speech started with pointing out that the U.S. is now an energy superpower, producing more oil and gas than any other country in the world, and that they are now basically uh, reach some kind of energy security that allows the U.S. to thrive and to boom, and the economy is booming, and that and he said each American family is saving. Two and a half thousand dollars because energy is cheap. Exactly right. And also, the fact that uh, we keep being told by the likes of Greta Thunberg and her kind of acolytes and, and the various kind of apostles that she has, because she has been created as this kind of almost godlike figure who walks among us, you know, but she's got some kind of special skill to be able to define the carbon in the air and the fact that she can yep. see what yep. we can't see. I mean, it's barely believable. But it's believable only for, for the reasons that you state that the, 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 the global elites love the idea uh, of having this kind of poster girl uh, so that they can use her to kind of influence people's emotions to do things. Yeah, yeah, big mistake, huge mistake, uh, because uh, as long as climate change was the scientific issue, they, you know, they could say, look, listen to the scientists and the scientists, they are, you know, they are moderate and they give a balanced view, but... Uh, Greta has become a cult figure mm. and a, a, a uh, prophet of doom. And it looks more and more like an apocalyptic mass movement rather than a rational scientific uh, issue that needs to be addressed in a rational, calm and pragmatic way. Yes, because we've been seeing in this country, um, Dr. Benny, and you'll know this, I'm sure, Extinction Rebellion doing their mass protests, gluing themselves to trains, getting dragged off trains by people who had to get to work and who couldn't be bothered uh, with these ridiculous protests that they put together, weeks on end, you know, blocking bridges. These people are anarchists. They are nothing to do with really changing the climate. They're all about changing the way that our political system operates. Yeah, in, in a way, it is a, a mass movement that jumped on this bandwagon. Uh, they come and go, these movements. Yeah. Uh, the topics come and go. I mean, uh, President Trump pointed out 
that the same kind of hysteria we uh, observing now happened in the 60s mm. with people saying, you know, uh, too many people are destroying the planet in the 60s. Then the whole idea that uh, hundreds of millions will starve to death. Uh, in the 70s, then, you know, the Ice Age will come. That was the other scare. And then, uh, you know, we're running out of oil and gas. Right. So these scares come and go. And I think that we've seen the peak of the climate hysteria because now it's becoming really a problem for most governments. Yeah. All the easy things, all the cheap and easy bits, of decarbonization have been done. Mm. Now it's becoming really difficult, very expensive, and the public will not sit still if their energy bills continue to rise. Well, exactly right. I mean, and also in this country of ours, we do far more than any other country on Earth in terms of declaring ourselves to be carbon neutral by 2050 uh, on the basis that we charge an airline tax to airlines uh, unknown to any other country in the world. When you fly, you have to pay... We pay green taxes on our energy already. You know, the idea that we're not doing anything, uh, as old Thunderbird keeps telling us, is nonsense. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, uh, I mean, one of the tricks... Uh, of the game is, of course, to um, outsource a lot of production to China and yeah. other countries and say, look, we're not producing this year, so we're just importing this yeah. stuff right. from, uh, you know. So it's it's a bit of a con to say, um, yeah, we are, you know, the greenest country in the world, but importing all the stuff that is being cheaply produced in countries with much lower standards. Sure. However, no, but we are being but right. we are being taxed as a result of these green policies absolutely. more than we should absolutely. be. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a threshold, there's a limit to how much people are willing to pay because everyone when asked, do you want to save the planet? Do you want to save the climate? We'll say yes, of course. Mm. But there is a limit to what people w- can afford and are able to afford, in particular in a situation where most of the world doesn't actually care. Most of the world is doing business as usual. So whatever we are doing here in the UK is swamped completely uh, by what's going on in Asia, in China, in India. So unless there is a level playing field, nothing we do will have any effect on the CO2. Well, I presume there are those as well, I don't know if you're one of them, Dr. Benny, who would say, actually, there isn't much that we can do about any of it. I mean, it may well be um, that that there is climate change going on, but then climate does change. I mean, that's the point of climate. It doesn't stay the same. But the idea that the the Earth may or may not be heating up is is still in question. The science is by no means absolute on anything. uh, And the predictions are certainly not absolute because the predictions have been so wrong in the past. Yes, well... That is part of the scientific problem that the models and the the, the people who create the models and make the predictions um, have run too hot. In other words, the the predictions of global warming are much worse than the actual warming trend, which is much lower, which is so gradual that uh, people hardly notice Mm. it. Uh, Obviously, we live in a, a period of global warming and have been for the last um, 50, 70 years. So that is a fact. But by and large, this has been good for the global uh, population, for agriculture, for forests. Uh, But there comes a point where it might become a problem. And um, the most rational and pragmatic way of dealing 
with climate change or global warming in the absence of uh, international decarbonization is to make our cities and towns more resilient. Yeah. So then, because we've always had flooding, so there will be flooding in the future, no matter how much CO2 we emit. So the best thing uh, dealing with flooding is to prepare towns and cities to make them more flood-proof, to make homes more insulated for you know, against heat or against cold. There are many much better ways of dealing with uh, extreme weather than trying to cut CO2. Yes, exactly right. And also, there's an awful lot more flooding going on in many parts of this country because of the way that the houses have been built and the way that exactly. the water courses have been set to run. And therefore, exactly. you know, without taking due care when they were doing all of that preparation for building, you know, of course the places are going to flood. I mean, I uh, lived in a place in Wiltshire which flooded as a result of the farmer who had a field behind my house ploughing the field so that the rain just ran off it instead of leaving yeah. it fallow when there was quite, uh, you know, long grass in there and horses used to uh, sort of graze yeah. in it. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious what causes flooding. It's, it's, the, it's yeah. the way that the water is running and the way that the water is draining. Exactly, and it makes more sense to spend money on that particular problem, yeah. which can be sorted because we know why flooding happens um, and you can... Um, you know, uh, build uh, housing away from the floodplains and, and make sure that the rivers are dredged and so on. Yes, which and is what they're not doing. Similarly, yeah. in Australia, we hear all the time that a lot of the problem that they've got down there with the, with the brush fires and the bushfires is that they have not been, because of eco <coughs> ecological campaigners, they have not been burning the bush in the way that they used yeah. to. Absolutely. And again, this is uh, was done... Uh, in the name of environmental protection, yeah. and very often has this uh, unintended consequence of causing more problems than the problems they try to uh, solve. Yeah. So, but, but you made an yeah, interesting point yeah. earlier that you know people will not take too much of this, particularly as it gets more expensive for their own personal wallets, right? Because yeah. I, f I sense that Donald Trump has hit on uh, a nerve here because there is now a backlash going on, certainly in this country, um, against this kind of woke generation of people who want to feel offended about everything, who want us all to behave in a particular way, who want to point at us and say you're a Nazi for not believing in climate change. I think ordinary people in this country, the common sense people, the people who listen to this show, are actually fed up to the back teeth of being lectured at by people like Greta Thunderbird. Yeah, absolutely. We actually did a, a survey, uh, or YouGov did a survey uh, for us recently, uh, asking exactly that question to about 2,000, you know, randomly selected people around the UK, saying, you know, what do you prioritize? Would you, if, if, if you were to advise the government, do you want more climate action or do you want lower energy bills? And it was very interesting that the country is basically split almost almost on kind of a Brexit line yeah. between, you know, the, the, the further south you go, the more green action that people want. The further north you go, the, uh, not only is it getting colder, the further north you go, they also want lower energy bills. And the same, uh, you know, uh, if you look at the social divide, the, the wealthier people are, the greener they are, yeah. and the poorer people are, um, the more they are concerned about their utility bills. Well, of course. So, I mean, they can't. The people who haven't got that much money can't afford to be green because they're too busy getting on with their lives. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And so, therefore, the challenge for the new government, the challenge for Boris, is how is he going to keep his promises to his new voters uh, that he won't make their life more difficult and miserable and the promises that he will make, you know, radical green policies. These are and, and unless he can do this in a way that doesn't raise energy bills and, and costs for ordinary families, uh, unless he can do that, he will eventually be in trouble if he goes too far and too fast. Yes, absolutely right. And, I mean, we've even got a story today from Coca-Cola saying that they're going to continue manufacturing uh, plastic bottles and they're going to continue putting their products inside plastic bottles. Because the other great myth about this greening of the world is that an awful lot of what we're supposed to be doing, like using glass and recycling glass and all of that, is not necessarily any greener anyway. Yeah, the problem with plastic isn't the plastic. The problem with plastic is mainly another green problem is this obsession with recycling because it's the recycling that you actually collect the rubbish and then try to sort it out and reuse it. That's where most of the plastic is lost. The best way of dealing with plastic is that you burn the whole lot and, uh, and, and generate energy. You can do it very cleanly nowadays. And you just get rid of the plastic waste. You don't try to sort it, to, to recycle it, and, and then ship it abroad for others to deal with the rubbish. There are, again, very pragmatic ways of dealing with the environment. And can I just say, we are getting actually much better. We are cleaning, and, and uh, Trump made the point. He said, the U.S. has never had cleaner air and cleaner water and a cleaner environment. I mean, look at what London looked like 50, yeah. 70 years ago, right. or most of, of uh, cities were heated by coal, right? And the air you was. You couldn't really see the end of the street when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. And now we live in a comparatively, I mean, cleaner certainly than in the past. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we can still uh, improve on a number of environmental issues, but by and large, you know, fish are coming back in the rivers. Wildlife is coming back. Uh, we're using less land because we are agriculture is becoming more efficient. Mm. We have new technology, and so so things are actually going in the right direction. And this whole end of the world doomsday uh, scaremongering is simply not only over the top; it's completely wrong. It is indeed completely wrong. And you are, of course, Dr. Betty Pizer, completely right. Welcome to the land of common sense, the independent Republican Mike Graham. Uh, he's director of the Global Warming Policy Forum. I'm the president of the independent republic. You're watching us on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter, as well as listening. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We'll take loads more of your calls throughout the show, of course. Lots of you want to get on, and we will get to all of you. 0344 499 1000 is the number, because it is uh, a growing movement now, I would say, of people uh, who are fed up, sick to the back teeth of being told how to behave, what to drive, how to walk, you know, which plane to take, which train to take, which boat to take, you know, which energy to use, how you must conserve everything, recycle everything. Well, people are getting sick to the back teeth of it, and Donald Trump has nailed it in his speech at Davos, and he's basically said... Stop giving in to the profits of doom. And he's absolutely right. Now, one man who knows a thing or two about spending money and having money uh, is Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon. There's an amazing story today in which it turns out that Jeff Bezos's phone 
was apparently hacked by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Let's talk to Professor Alan Woodward, Cybersecurity and Researcher Chief at the University of Surrey. Alan, a very good morning to you. And to you. This is quite a remarkable story, isn't it? I have to say, the first thing I thought when I read it was, has anyone done this to me? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, it is. It's hacking people's phones, um, is something that unfortunately is becoming increasingly common. I mean, there's a whole there's a raft of uh, malicious software called Stalkerware, right. um, which is actually being used by sort of ex-partners and things to stalk their ex-partners. Right. Um, and it's that type of thing that's, that, that looks like it was used in this case. Right. Uh, we, we think that what happened um, was they were having a WhatsApp conversation. Um, they'd, they'd, had a, they'd had a dinner in Los Angeles. So they knew each other effectively, right? They, they'd met for dinner, as I understand it. Um, they'd exchanged their private numbers right. and um, were exchanging WhatsApp messages. Um, and from the Crown Prince's number came a message with a video in it. Um, obviously, open the video, but it turns out that, that at that point, there was a flaw um, which meant that the, it could be more than just a video. Mm. So, so what, would Jeff Bezos li- what would Jeff Bezos most likely have seen? Would the video have opened or would it just have been a kind of a... It, it, could, well, it could well have done, yep. He wouldn't have been aware of the other bit that was crawling out into his phone. Wow. Um, so, uh, and then, obviously, there was a, you know, it had access to all sorts of things. I mean, the, the suspicion is, I mean, because this was first actually talked about last year, last March, right. um, because there was a suspicion when the National Enquirer at the time, Jeff Bezos was getting divorced. They leaked a lot of data, which mm. could only really have come from him. Right. Um, that he must have, he somehow, somebody had bugged his phone. Yeah. Um, and he, he got the, that's when the investigation actually started. But unfortunately, these types of flaws are not unknown. Um, we saw a couple in WhatsApp last year. Mm. Um, it's, it's just another really good reason to keep your software up to date. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, funnily enough, I was, I was saying this morning, something similar happened to one of my uh, laptops about 10 years ago. I like, opened up a, a video that had been sent to me on Facebook by somebody that I thought was a friend. But what I didn't know was that somebody had obviously hacked their account. Yeah, and, it was, and it was one of these things that was sent to about 15 different people. And I clicked on it, um, and instead of it opening, it kind of it sent a worm into my computer, which basically it didn't do anything terrible, but it sort of redirected everything. So every time I tried to get onto Google, I would be yeah. redirected to ask Jeeves or something like that. And every time I pressed the letter P, it was the letter T. You know, it was stuff like that. And I ended up having to get the computer sort of completely cleaned and, and sorted out. But I don't know whether anybody benefited from that. Uh, well, what, what, there's sometimes you have this sort of um, is camouflage. So you, in case somebody spots that there is something wrong with the machine, mm. it'll be doing things that look innocuous. Right. Um, but actually, what it might have been doing is stealing your bank details or yeah. whatever. I mean, I fortunately, mean, nothing things, actually, I mean, nothing disappeared, nothing happened. Yeah. You know, I was, I was maybe lucky. Uh, well, yeah, I, I suspect you were. I mean, the, the most common one these days, actually, on PCs rather than phones, is what's called ransomware. So yes. you open up a bit of open up a bit of software, and it just encrypts your whole machine and says, "Pay us X yes. thousand pounds, and we'll send you the key to unlock it." Well, I've also had um, people tell me stories of them getting emails from from somewhere saying, "We've we've seen what you've been doing, and and, and we're going to publish what you've been doing." Unless you pay us X can. amount of money, yeah. Yeah, that, but that, that's that, that's a scam. It's it's rather like they can pick up old passwords, for yeah. example. I mean, in old breaches, and they say, "Oh, we know what you're doing. We you know your password's X." Right. And they, and they give it a, a little for people that don't change their password that often. Um, then it, they think, "Oh, crikey, somebody ha- somebody's in my machine," and mm. you know, 
you only need to find the one person in a million that's done something slightly dodgy. Right. And they might pay up. I mean, I that's guess we'll never know for sure how this all happened between uh, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia and Mohammed bin Salman. But, I, I mean, it's not inconceivable that he met Jeff Bezos with this particular idea in mind. But I don't see... I mean, apart from trying to destabilise Amazon or Jeff Bezos or because he's friends with his ex-wife or something, I can't imagine why he would have done it. Well, it's the motive that has me a bit false. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, I know that the Saudi Arabia was looking for investment um, from from Amazon. That's why that's why they were having the conversation. Right. Um, uh, Bezos. Kind Not of a very nice way of uh, convincing him to give you money, is it? <laughs> no, really, no. But uh, you know, different parts of the world they have strange ways of doing business. But I mean, also uh, um, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, I think, has um, he. he had not been, um, how should I put it, aligned with some of um, yes. what uh, Saudi was up to and, they, and had publicly cut links with them after the Khashoggi ah, right, murder. Right. Um, so you, you don't know. I mean, and if you can do it and you've got no scruples, you know, one of, one of the rich, what, is he, not, is he now the richest man in the world? Um, I uh, think you know, he is, having yeah. Ac- having access to his phone is a... Right. I suppose the only thing to... to pre- I mean, is there anything you can do to prevent it? Can you put something on your phone which guards against it in any way? Well, WhatsApp should check that these sort of things can't happen, but obviously there are flaws every now and again, so keeping it up to date, it, it should be OK. But the, the, the bottom line is, I call it ABC, you assume, you assume nothing, you believe no one, and you check everything. So right. if you get something like a video even apparently from someone you know, but it's out of context. Yeah. It's not the sort of conversation. I mean, you know, the Crown Prince sends you a, a video of kittens. Um, why on earth would he be doing that? I'd just delete it. <laughs> yes. I'd go ABC. No, I mean, I, I do that with, I get emails quite often, which are clearly hacked emails from yeah. people that I know um, yeah, who exactly. wouldn't write, who wouldn't start the email in any particular way. So I'll, I'll see the top line of it. I just won't open it. I'll just delete it straight away. And that's the, unfortunately, that's the only way to do it. And, and if it's that important, you will get contacted again, obviously. Well, but, exactly, yeah. Um, uh, but it's it's that it, it, it's trusting it because it comes from a certain person. Now, now you pointed out right at the beginning, you know who's to know that they're not one of many that have been hacked, and you're simply part of this cascade as it, as it goes through people's contact lists. Right. Yeah, it's an incredible story. I mean, you have to you have to, also if if you if you look at Mohammed bin Salman um, and what has happened and what he has been linked with in the past, which is a little bit more serious than hacking somebody's phone. Yeah. You have to wonder if he's done it to anybody else, don't you? Well, the, the, there's, a, there's a couple of companies um, in, who are known to be suppliers to countries in that part of the world. There's a, bit of so- a very well-known bit of software called Pegasus, uh-huh. which actually is produced by an Israeli company, um, which is used by governments in that part of the world to spy on dissidents and all sorts of or people they think are dissidents right. and all sorts of other, all sorts of other types. It's, it's, it's a fairly well-trodden path, although... <laughs> Doing it to a, a multi-billionaire that you met for dinner is kind of... That's the first time I've heard of that happening. Yeah, but right. They, and met, you know, they, they may just have thought it was a great source of intelligence. And now that it's been discovered, I mean, does he have any recourse legally, uh, Jeff Bezos, or, was, or is that too tricky? Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the problems with all this is which country was the law um, broken? Yeah. Because, you know, if, if it was in Saudi Arabia, I'm not sure they've got a law to cover it there. If it was done in... Um, the United States. I'm not sure the Saudi Arabian uh, government's going to go after Crown Prince Mohammed exactly. bin Salman. <laughs> um, but if it, and, and a lot of it is about proof. Yeah. Uh, because if, if you bring a criminal charge, um, you, it's got to be beyond a reasonable doubt. And yes. Of course, the first thing that... So, oh, well, it came from the prince's phone, but the mm. prince just then immediately needs to say, 
oh, well, actually, uh, somebody else had stolen the phone yeah. or, or had hacked it in the yes. first place, so it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, so tying devices to people is often problematic. And in court, proving things beyond a reasonable doubt can be very tricky. Yes. But having said that, in the UK, certainly, there, there are far more prosecutions starting to happen under what's called the Computer Misuse Act, mm. um, which is unauthorised access um, to people's... And you can get six months in prison for that. Right. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you very much. Very illuminating. Professor Alan Woodward there, cybersecurity specialist and researcher at the University of Surrey, uh, on this remarkable tale uh, where Jeff Bezos, the chief of Amazon, uh, who had pictures arriving and appearing in National uh, Enquirer newspaper and magazines, um, turns out he's had his phone basically hacked by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. You couldn't really make this stuff up. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the fastest growing radio station on the planet. We are, of course, Talk Radio. We're live streaming as well on YouTube. We're live streaming on Facebook and on Twitter as well. So you can watch us as well uh, as listening to us. And don't forget, Plank of the Week was filmed yesterday. Uh, you can go to our, our website uh, and find a link to it. You can go onto YouTube and find a link to it. You can go onto Twitter and find a link to it. You can watch it. Uh, it was Nadia Essex yesterday uh, alongside Stuart Jackson, former Tory MP. Uh, and, of course, it will come as no surprise to you uh, that Greta Thunberg did get a mention, uh, as did Meghan Markle, uh, as did Lily Allen. Uh, we'll be finding out a bit more about that coming up later on. Uh, let's talk to Michael, though, who's in Merseyside, who's got an interesting story for us. Hello, Michael. Hi, are you OK? Yeah, very well indeed. What, what can I do for you? Um, well, it, it's a story with regards to our um, little dog and um, what happened over, over the weekend. Yes. Um, we were moving some furniture into our house, and um, he's a, a little 16-year-old last rap, so and he's taken it upon himself to uh, have a little walk out oh, yeah. of the house. OK. Um, and he's made it to the end of our drive um, without us knowing. Um, now, somebody has done absolutely the right thing, and they've picked him up and taken him home and contacted the uh, local dog warden service off the, uh, our local council website, Stanford okay. Council. Right. The next thing we know, we get a phone call from the dog wardens later that afternoon. Um, now, Oscar did have a collar on, but no name tag. Right. Um, so they said that we've had to um, bring him back here to scan him to get your information off the microchip. Right. He is microchipped, Obviously, I presume, were... yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, microchipped, yeah. Hence, they were able to get our details. Yes, OK. Um, now, we were absolutely over the moon at that point. So yeah, you must have been. How long was he missing for? Uh, it was the matter of uh, um, two or three hours okay. um, before we got the phone call, so it wasn't a huge amount of time, but it's certainly a, a yeah. But it's a terrible time. thing to happen, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So mm. the first thing I said as soon as I was, I was speaking to, to the lady at the dog warden service was, um, "That's great. I'll come and pick him up. Where are you?" Um, I was told straight away that that wouldn't be an option, um, and um, because they wouldn't disclose where he was, mm. because they they never let people know where the kennels are. Right. Um, which I found slightly odd. That is a bit odd. But then, yeah, yeah. But um, then she went on to explain that the only option we had was for them to bring him back to us, um, and there would be a seventy-one pound charge for that. Really? Um, yeah. Well, so this yeah, is the council who want to charge you money for collecting your own dog. Yeah. Well, I can, I can, I could understand a charge as such, but I thought that was unreasonable. Yeah. You know, especially seeing as, as, as he hadn't been there um, for, for a great amount of time. Mm. So I did raise that with them, but at the point that I started to raise that with them, I was told categorically that I had 48 hours to pay that £71, pounds, right. at which time they would keep hold of the dog. Um, after that, it would go to £110. Pounds, right. And 
if I didn't pay the fee within seven days, my dog would be rehomed or euthanized. Um, and is this like yeah, a, is this so, a private company saying this to you? This is a well. This is this was the confusion because they came across as though they were the council at first, uh, um, and then on further looking into it, because it was it was a, um, a withheld number that actually phoned me, so right. I couldn't see who it was. Um, obviously, then I went to the the council website myself to to backtrack it to make sure you know that wasn't just it wasn't <laughs> could have been anybody at right. that stage. Yeah, sure. Um, and the, there's the full information the same there on Sefton Council's website. Um, with a telephone number, and when I phoned that phone number back, it was the, the same people, the dog warden service. OK, and what do they or, say? What does the Sefton Council say they are? They just say they're dog wardens for Sefton Council. That's right. right. They're, they're using them as a private company because they don't have a dog warden themselves at the moment. Right. Um, but it's taken two days of, of pushing for them to even give this charge that, that they put to me a, a name. Um, That's a shocking and, state of really, affairs, that, isn't it? Really... Yeah, really pushing uh, as far as talking to the, the, our local Labour councillor at yeah. Athens rather than rather than Conservative because we couldn't get hold of them. Um, but um, but yeah, really really pushing, and then they've given it a name of a release fee, so almost treating your dog as if it was they were a wheel clamping company in right. a car or right. Um, so what have you done? What have you decided to like, do? Well, the only thing we could do is over the two-day period is is buy a family and friends, and literally we didn't have the money at first. It's this time in January, um, is scrape the money together and and, and pay the fee, which, right. which I did yesterday. But um, I, I just I've been trying to raise as much awareness. Yeah, you should definitely. And, and, well, you should definitely get in touch with the the council if you can. Um, we'll see what we can do at this end as well and find out if this is coming something that's going on a lot because it's an incredible story. That Michael, thank you for telling us about it. Sefton Council. If anybody knows anything about this, uh, that they're using some kind of private organisation to collect money from people. Uh, on the basis that they are dog wardens, uh, privatising the business out uh, and basically profiteering from it. Absolutely extraordinary stuff. Michael, thanks very much for your call. Do keep in touch with us. Let us know everything that happens as it happens and we'll see what we can do. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've heard an awful lot about the Australian points-based system. We've heard an awful lot about freedom of movement. We've heard uh, just before the news there from a travel expert who said that as of the transition period from the January 31st until December 31st, effectively, uh, we will have absolutely no difference in the way that we travel, in the way that we take our holidays, in the way that we take our pets abroad in Europe and inside the European Union. What happens after that, however, uh, is still kind of to be worked out. Let's find out uh, from Harjat Bangle precisely what is actually going on. Harjap, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. It's a bit confusing, this, and I don't know whether I'm just being a bit thick, but it seems to be that the immigration sort of plan is all over the place. Uh, you're not thick, Mike. It's been all over the place for <laughs> the last 15 years. Yeah, right. Why, change it, now? Why change it now, right? Yeah, we've been confused as well. Recently, I think last week, there was a uh, report saying that in about the 1970s, 80s, the immigration rules were only about 40 pages. Now they're over like thousands of pages. And we have to read and digest that. And, you know, I, I have a hard time making head or tail of it. Every time we're told something different is happening, it's hardly ever implemented. If it's implemented, it's implemented badly. The Home Office, who are supposed to implement this, are not fit for purpose. Every year, the MPs publish a report saying, look, this is not fit for purpose. It needs a total rehash. And therefore, you know, it does seem we're just trying to paper over big cracks and cracks in the wall as opposed to knocking the wall down and rebuilding it. Right. I mean, I've spoken to people in this country who are both sort of either um, anywhere from not too bothered about it and, and or quite alarmed by it. People, for example, who use a lot of European workers to pick fruit yeah. seem to think that they're not going to be able to get those people to pick fruit anymore. Well, the, the idea of the new system will be to actually cut down on unskilled workers. Mm. By unskilled workers, we're talking, you know, waitresses and people who work in hotels and people, um, maybe they class even construction staff as unskilled. I don't know why, but, you know, so this we've got to work out what is skilled and unskilled. Mm. But the whole idea is to stop unskilled workers coming here and get the British people to actually do these jobs. Yes, which, but um, in order so to do that, presumably, they'll have to offer more money, won't they? Yeah, and we'll have to incentivise people to get off benefits. Right. And, um, you know, to actually get into jobs. There's no reason why British people can't work as waiters or they can't work in fast food chains or can't work in the hotel industry or, you know, can't work yeah, as cleaners. because, I mean, there are plenty, there are, you know, there are plenty who do. I mean, I know in London in particular, it's quite difficult to find somebody British actually serving in behind a bar or working in a restaurant. But, you know, in, in other parts of the country, it's happening all over the place. Yeah, and this is what it requires, I think, a bit of de a redistribution. Mm. And that's what the points-based system is allegedly going to offer. It's going to offer more points to someone who's willing to work in a certain part of England as opposed to come to London and work. Right. And therefore, they're going to incentivise to spread migrants around the country as opposed to concentrate them in the cities such as Birmingham, London, you know, Manchester, right. or places like this. So they're going to say, you know what, we need you in all parts of the UK. However, the problem is that people think migration is going to go down. 
yeah. as a result of a points-based system. Now, everywhere where there's been a points-based system, migration has gone up. But that's the and thing. I mean, is he sort of playing to the audience a little bit here by making out that what we're going to stop is people coming here who don't want to come here to work, but who want here who want to come here to kind of benefit from the benefit system, if you like? Well, actually, Mike, if that's what he's intending to do, then he's got it all wrong because only 4% of migrants claim benefits. Yeah. 14% of British people claim benefits. Right. So the figures are there. Migrant is not going to come all the way from somewhere, you know, say China or India, Africa, just to claim benefits. They're going to come to work. No, no that's true, but, but there's also <laughs> presumably there's situations where, say, somebody comes to work, but then they bring their family, and their family then presumably get some kind of benefit. Oh, no, they can't because on the actual visa that you get, if you're outside the EU, you, on your visa card, it says no recourse to public funds. It actually right. says that in writing, so right. you can't get it. In fact... Migrants like that, they have to pay for the NHS. They pay a surcharge of a 200, 250 pound a year per person. Okay. If you're a family of five, you're paying a grand a year mm. until until you get your indefinite leave to remain, just to use the NHS. Right. Something which the British people don't have to do. Plus, they're paying their taxes from their work. They're actually paying double. Yeah, right. So what happens, for example, to those people who come here illegally from France? And I saw that some have now started coming from Belgium. And I know it's a very small number, yeah. um, but it's a few hundred people, I think, last year. Um, and no doubt it'll be a few hundred people this year. Because my, my understanding is, is that if they get to Dover uh, or they get picked up in the channel, they get brought to this country. They don't get sent back because they can't be sent back to the countries from which they've come for whatever reason. Um, they stay here and they probably, I'm assuming, can't necessarily work. The first point of call is to establish whether they've claimed asylum in another country. Yeah. And we have a system called Eurodac. Now, that's a fingerprint system. So they're fingerprinted. If they've claimed asylum, say, in France, Belgium, Germany, they're sent back there. Mm. They're told, you know what, it's not our responsibility. That's, you've claimed asylum there, you're their responsibility. Right. However, a lot of them haven't claimed asylum on the way. So then they claim asylum when they're caught, and then it's our responsibility to process them bring them into the system. They're not allowed to work, right. but therefore we have to provide them with housing and vouchers, food vouchers, in order to sustain their lives. Whereas, in fact, a lot of them, they say, give us permission to work and we'll pay, happily pay our taxes. We don't want to pay. And them. are they able to work eventually? What sort of length of time do they have to be here before they're allowed to work? Um, usually you're allowed to, you have to be here a year. Right. And if you haven't, your claim hasn't been determined in a year, or you haven't had an answer on your asylum claim, then you're allowed to work. If you've been refused within the year, you're not allowed to work. Right. So there's a lot of people who've been here 10, 12 years and they're not allowed to work. So they work in something called the black economy. Yeah. They work cash in hand and they just survive that. And hence they're exploited by landlords, by employers. Whereas in effect, if we actually, and this is where the amnesty thing comes in, but Boris often moots before an election and then forgets about um, two days after. But he said it before this election as well, that if, if the people who were here illegally roughly or living here illegally and that's roughly could be up to about a million people mm. if they were actually allowed to work and told you know what we'll give you a visa every year you've got to pay for the benefit of it you've got to pay for the nhs and you've got to earn over 20 25k a year in order to get it renewed every year yeah then actually we'd make money out of them but otherwise but otherwise what though what could you, you couldn't threaten to send them back could you no you couldn't you just have to leave them in limbo otherwise the rule is if you've been here 20 years then you can apply for residency. Yeah. Even if you've been here 20 years illegally. So someone who came when they were 20 would have to wait till they're 40. Yeah. And so, you know, and in that meantime, the 20 years, they form relationships, they have children. You've got children that are born who might be stateless and can't be sent back, you know, because the 
um, the government separates their parents from say, well, hold on, they're not born in our country, right. we can't give them a passport. Mm. Britain says, well, they're not British, so we're not giving them a passport. So what do you do with these kids? And we, you know, we estimate that there's roughly about 50,000, 60,000 kids without passport yeah. statuses in the country and what are you going to do for me? And this has been, this has really, as you say, been the cause of, of a great deal of concern for, for an awful lot of people who voted to leave the European Union as well because well, yeah. from what you're explaining to me, nothing much is going to change. No, I don't think anything's going to change really in that effect. I think we've been sold a red herring in, like a, in the fact that, yeah, don't worry, Brexit will resolve immigration. All Brexit is going to do is stop people freely coming here from Europe, yeah. coming here to work. And vice versa. Right. So and and I think from that point of view, a lot of people who voted to stop that happening will be happy about that because they will say uh, that the businesses that they want to work in will have to raise them, their, 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 their pay and they'll, they'll be, you know, they won't be being undercut by people coming in, say, from Eastern Europe all the time. But they've now also scrapped this £30,000 minimum salary threshold that they were going to bring in as well. Yeah, I mean, they've scrapped that. So that will mean that people can offer migrants lower wages and then get them in on the point system if they hit the points. Now, what we don't know is how the points are going to be made up. Yeah. So I'm assuming if they're going to attract professors, scientists, doctors, teachers, they're going to be paid more than 30000 anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. So I think that's just maybe a sort of slight to the businesses, just a, just a nod to the businesses saying, well, hold on, we'll still let you call your uh, hotel front desk managers, you know, your, your waiters, your chefs in, and you won't have to pay them over £30,000. You might still be able to get um, migrants in on the cheap, as it were. Yeah. And, and, and to sustain your businesses. Right. Because a lot of businesses are saying, well, hold on, if you stop this freedom of movement, our businesses are going to go bust. Well, that's what they're saying, because they're saying they can't find the work uh, for, or they can't find the workers, rather, just from the indigenous population. Yeah, and I think there's also an element of they don't want to pay the higher wages. Well, I think that's more. Too, I think that's much more likely to be the case because we had figures yesterday where we've got the highest employment figures now that, that, that than we've had for for almost as long as anybody can remember. So I mean, it's not as if we we're not far off kind of full employment at this point. Yeah, I think I think we've really got a, the businesses have got to be told. You know what? You, you can't. You should look at starting employing British people. I always train them up. Well, listen. I, you know what? I've also had a real bee in my bonnet about for years and years and years, and nobody's really done anything about it. Is this whole business of tax credits? The idea that that we as a nation subsidise um, employers because they don't pay people enough money, so we top it up for them. To me, is an absolute nonsense. Mike, I think a lot of people have said that, and I've said that previously. Yeah. I don't think the immigration system needs reforming that much. I think the welfare system needs reforming. Yeah. If you're getting £300 a week, say, on benefits, and I don't know who does get that, but if you do get that, why are you going to go out and get a job for £200 a week or yeah, £250 exactly. a week? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, particularly if you've got kids to look after, because you're going to say, well, I don't have the money to pay a childminder, I don't have the money to pay for childcare, so I'm just going to stay on benefits. Yeah, remember, because if you're working, then you don't have to start paying your rent, you'll have to start paying council tax. Yes. You won't get housing benefit, you won't get council tax benefit. Right. You may have to start paying for your prescriptions. You know, whereas all of that, if you're on benefits, yeah. will come at the Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Harjap, as ever, great talking to you. Harjap Bangle there. Uh, and I think we've, we've landed on something here uh, by accident. It's not about the immigration problem. It's about the benefits problem. And that would appear to be something that needs to be fixed much better and much more quickly than the immigration system, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. We'll take your calls next. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Live streaming on YouTube, live streaming on Facebook, live streaming as well on Twitter. Don't forget, Plank of the Week is out there as well on YouTube. We've also got a great interview uh, talking about the inside workings of the European Union uh, with Alex Phillips, who is, of course, an outgoing Brexit Party MEP. Uh, that's on the off-air series as well. Let's go to the phone zone and talk to Mary. Uh, up first in Glasgow, she wants to talk about immigration. Hi, Mary. Hi, how you doing? Yeah. I get angry that you call it immigration. Why? Because it wasn't immigration. What do you mean? It was a replacement policy by the UN and the EU to replace... Replace who? ...population. Replace who? Us. Well, well, who's replaced you? Well, they're, they're, they're getting moved into the places. That's what the migration part was. Are you feeling OK, Mary? You've got good researchers. They should look on the UN site and they'll find the replacement policies and the EU site. There is, there is no replacement mind. policy, Mary. What? If you were being replaced, you, UN, wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be talking to me. The, no, the UN's got nothing to do with it. People are coming to this country to, to live because they don't like where they're currently living. We can argue about whether that's a good idea or not, but they're not coming here because the UN sent them. Well, have you been watching America's borders? Yes, I go to America on a I go to America. I go to America on a regular basis. Aye, well, I'm talking about the the, the south, the the borders. You see them all coming up. There's another caravan, organised caravan coming up. Why does that bother you? Organised by the UN. Why Why does what's happening in Southern California bother you? Because it's happening all over the world. Well, where else is it happening? It's happening in Australia. Only they've got Mary a grip yet. Australia. Australia. And it's happening Who's going to Europe. Australia then? Well, see, we see when they first when they all come marauding across Europe and nobody stopped them, and you can't see that because that's. Well, you're talking about the Germans. No, no, no. I'm not talking about the Germans. I'm talking about the whole uh, the law, the all the governments, all taxpayers' money get to to use it to pay for these boats. We, we all. I think you've been. I think you've been. I think you've been smoking that funny tobacco, Mary. I'm going to let you go. Look, the point is, we have an immigration problem in parts of this country. It is not because the United Nations has sent people here to replace the people who are the indigenous people of this country, because guess what? There are no indigenous people of this country. You might be part Viking, Mary, for all I know. Ryan is in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Hello, sir. How are you? You haven't got a pod or anything in the back garden, have you? It's about to replace you. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I was a conspiracy theorist, but yes. Yeah, I'm blimey. I mean, it's a bit early for that sort of caper, isn't it? Well, it is, it is a bit. I mean, um, I, look, as a, as a, I, I consider myself a liberal when I've been a bit uh, disillusioned in the last couple of years because I grew up a bit hippie-ish and now it's sort of a, it seems to have gone uh, completely loony um, and not very <laughs> rational at all. Um, Listen, there are some things that are wrong with this world and I'm here to try and fix them. But that does not mean that I'm going to entertain uh, some crazy conspiracy theory from someone in Glasgow. Well, that's it. I mean, if you can entertain my slight one, but it seems more rational than that. Because I like I say, I did a lot of um, uh, sort of left-leaning thinking when I was younger, yes. and I saw a lot of things. I would have voted out of Europe ten years before the vote come anyway, because I uh, seeing things that I saw. Um, I uh, saw a lot of leading uh, left thinkers. Uh, um, Noam Chomsky comes to mind. I've actually researched what I actually saw him on. It was a, a talk in Belfast in 1994. I didn't see it in 94, but I'm now aware that that's when it was it was done. And he, he said there was think tanks uh, there that identified the, the main threats to um, uh, society uh, as, a, as a whole across the world as um, 
Uh, one was uh, trade deals. Right. At the time, it was like the TTIP and things like that were uh-huh. sort of being, uh, you know, uh, talked around. Um, the other was climate change because yeah. they, you know, the, the left group got that. And the other one was the threat to democracy. Yes. Um, which it seems like they all sort of tie in with Brexit anyway and the, mm. sort of the way the sort of thinkers are going. Um, so well, there's like, I mean, there's no question that the European Union has been involved in some very dodgy business uh, in terms of its expansion, in terms of the way that it's tried to make sort of land grabs to Ukraine, the way that it's embraced all of the countries that used to be formerly part of the Soviet Union behind the Iron Curtain and all of that. And, and certainly some of the stuff that I found out uh, recently about the way that they do trade deals is, is quite sinister. Well, I mean, this, 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 sort, of, this sort of ties in because I, I was sort of... Uh, it was sort of put to... Uh, put to me when I was younger, and sort of, I sort of thought along the lines of that this globalisation that's going on is only a way of sort of sustaining an elitism. Because yeah. obviously, if, if you could you used to have like the, you know the towns up north where people weren't paid a lot, were more you know were into the factories, and then a hundred years later, we've got the towns now the other side of the world in China and poor poor parts, you know, where they're actually now manufacturing our goods. Yeah. And it's sort of, you know there's people saying we've got no manufacturing left in this country. Well, if you can get it made across the world and shipped back across. Uh, for a fraction of the price, yes. of course, business will lean that way. Of course. And that's what it's going in. The thing you were saying with Africa um, yesterday was sort of a prompted a call yesterday as well, but I didn't get through. It was basically, it's, it's, uh, it's, it seems like that's, that's what I'm scared of with things like that when we say we're going to do a trade deal mm. with Africa and things like that, is that there is sort of an elitism that is sustained through this sort of, um, these sort of deals. And, and with the climate change thing, they, once they impose sanctions and taxes and things, on these other countries that are poor, they they won't be able to keep up. I mean, the but this is what's interesting. Scale. This is what our guest in the first hour was saying that once you hit sort of the uh, the the limit of what you can do that's relatively easy and relatively cheap, and you then start to try and introduce laws and taxes that are much more expensive, people will revolt against that. People will say, no, we're not paying for that. We are not going to uh, entertain yet another tax on us just because you want to be saving the planet. We're not going to go along with it. Well, it's it. I mean, and people can't afford it. it you know, it seems it sort of all, it all comes out of their pocket. It seems everyone pays for it. I, being, I, I own a small business. It's really just myself most of the time. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities that I'd like to expand up into. And they're sort of covered by your big, and or dare I say it, European sort of um, companies that, that have these deals across Europe. So, like, you know, you've, even down to people that, like, collect our rubbish and things like that. You can yeah. they collect rubbish in other countries. They yeah. do things like this, you know. So, and if I want to step up and take people on, I have to train them, like, beyond the, you know, into the, uh, under these sort of rules and criteria. And I can't afford to make the step up into a lot of areas. And I feel that, it, that on a bigger scale, is the same as, like, these countries. They're yeah. going to turn around and say, well, we can't keep up. And there'll be a sort of a them versus us, West versus East, because, you know... Well, there might be, but, I mean, you might say that's... But you might say that, I mean, at the moment, the EU is already taking advantage of some of these countries. We have an opportunity not to take advantage of them, so let's hope that that's what we do. Well, I know. I mean, this is why, you know, it's none of my business with, you know, it is sort of my business, but it's nothing I can do about any of these sort of deals. But I've got a friend, a very close friend, who lives in Zambia, and he, um, he, you know, I've, I've spoken to him lots over the last couple of years, and he, he basically says white farmers a lot, white farmers. But he's very, very not racist. Mm. But he's, he's making the point more of like the elitism that exists over there, whereas they've got a lot of things, a lot of um, water access to water. They've got um, uh, more. Uh, they, they've got better machines for their agriculture and things like that because there is a sort of uh, the, 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 the goal. Uh, you know, the 
the, the golf is, is um, the golf, uh, the, the gap between them is, is getting bigger mm. and bigger. By the time, I mean, he lives in a shack and can hardly even raise enough money for like, you know, I think their equivalent is about 60, 70 pounds a month. Right. They're lucky they can get that in between right. the family. And then if you look, things in that country aren't that necessarily che- that cheaper than you'd expect. Like a loaf of bread would be the equivalent of 60p. Um, things like that. So it, it sort of creates, like, like you say, this, this gap that, that people can't bridge. And then if you're going to have a uh, I don't, don't think it's going to be useful like war or anything like that, but I definitely think there might be this youth that are so hell-bent on um, being liberal and also worried about the climate might be walking headfirst into um, sort of castigating poor people in other countries without even well, realising... Well, of course they are. But that's the point. But this is what we said earlier, Ryan. Listen, I've got to run because we're getting a bit late, but thank you for your call. The point is, is that, you know, it's all very well if you're this middle-class, you know, university-attending person who's 22 and wants to basically glue themselves to a train... But I'm afraid most of the people who want to use that train are having to get to work because they need to work in order to have enough money to eat and to feed their family. If you're reasonably well off, you don't have those worries. So you can demonstrate all your like for Extinction Rebellion and you can demonstrate against people who are trying to work to sell things from other countries into our country. It's all wrong, I'm telling you. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.